0: Thank you. Good morning. It is good to see everyone here, and happy Happy Father's Day. Um, I was mentioning the first service. You know how even like Father's Day is going to be different now. There's probably not as many restaurants that open, or there's not as much space to go. And I expect they're going to be real crowded, and um, not much sports. I mentioned, yeah, I turned on having to watch Korean uh, baseball, and Samuel goes, "Amen." Uh, He says that. He actually came up after me and said, thanks for the shout out for Korean baseball. I said, that's good. Um, But anyway, it is good to have you here. And um, listen, um, we live in a world um, that has a a studied antipathy against fatherhood. And uh, you don't have to look far to see the the fruit of it. And so God bless you men who are raising your sons um, in the faith and and, 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 uh, um, imperfect, but being fathers. And so God bless you. So anyway, uh, just a, a few things. Listen, if, if you want uh, more teaching, and particularly for, uh, within con- con- the context of Lakeside, uh, we do have one Sunday school uh, that so- sort of also goes out, um, that is videotaped and put out, um, uh, that you can get to on our website. Um, our, our, our ruling elder, Richard McClendon, teaches the Sunday school. He comes over uh, here every Tuesday afternoon and uh, with Kyle Nally, and God bless Kyle for this, but uh, Kyle meets him in the fellowship center and he tapes him for 20 to 30 minutes. He has a Sunday school there. And you can go on our website and you can go to the worship section going down. It says the Sunday school there. um, If you'd like to listen to that there are good studies. I've listened to a number of of them and the most recent one he did on the the wheat and the tares and it's just talking a lot about um, what God tolerates and what God doesn't tolerate which is again one of those things very offensive um, in our world. So I do encourage you with that. Um, Also remember Remember, um, we are, we're not singing, okay? We can hum and we can uh, meditate in our hearts on what is being um, done and said other than the folks up front here. And so our God tells us that we are um, to worship in spirit and truth. That's what the true believers are worshiping. And that is who we are. And so we will uh, begin that with Jess.
1: i feel the touch of hands so kind and tender they're leading me in paths that i must trot i have the no fear for jesus walks beside me and I'm sheltered in the arms of God so let the storms rage high the dark clouds rise they won't worry me for I'm sheltered safe within the arms of God. He walks with me, and not of earth can harm me.
2: For I'm
1: sheltered in Shall hear the call from heaven's portals. Come home, my child, it's the last mile you must try. safe within the arms of God so let the storms rage high the dark clouds rise they won't worry me for I'm sheltered safe within the arms Of God, He walks with me, and not of earth can harm me. For I'm sheltered in the arms of God. Yes, I'm sheltered in the arms of God.
3: Amen. Sheltered in the arms of God. That, Like I said, the first service, that will preach, man. Our God is sovereign. Our God is good. Hey, good morning everybody. Welcome to Worship at Lakeside. You are at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. Uh, Let me say just a few things. Uh, One, it will talk about the schedule going forward a little bit. Uh, We are going to probably, what we have settled into is our summer schedule. So we will have a 9 o'clock service and an 11 o'clock service through the rest of the summer. We anticipate some change will happen when school starts, although we're not announcing that yet because we haven't quite decided yet. When school starts, we'll probably reintroduce some form of Sunday school to our weekly lineup. uh, And that that may or may not have an effect on the service times, but you can be comfortable that from here on until when school starts, we will be indoors come hell or high water, unless the governor kicks us out. I mean, that's really that's, that's the rule. In the first service, they clap. They're much more enthusiastic about that. they like, of course, we didn't have the doors open. There we go. It's bad when preachers have to start begging for things. Like, please, can I get an amen? Uh, uh, anyway, God is good, uh, and it's good to be together. It's good to have air conditioning. We're going to kind of leave the doors open. I mean, the honest truth is, none of us know what helps and what doesn't. We're just trying to do the best we can uh, to be responsible and do not get sued. And things like I mean, just, you know, worship God. So uh, here's what we do. Uh, let's be called to worship together. What we're going to do today is we're going to sing the praises to our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to hear the word of God proclaimed. We're going we're to hear the law and be reminded of the gospel. And uh, as we're called to worship, I want to call you uh, to stand and, and join me in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we say this creed, it's one of the oldest creeds of the church, and we say it together to proclaim what we believe about Christ and the faith. So I'm going to begin by asking you this question. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven Comes forward. Uh, I'll take just a moment and introduce to you Mr. Nathan Lockie. Nathan is our, uh, in, in the midst of a bunch of chaos of services in, in COVID world. We didn't do a good job of welcoming you to the team, Nathan, and to our family. Uh, Nathan, this is his second gig as a worship director. He is very skilled in the art of singing and, and working with choirs uh nathan's desire is to be bivocational Uh, his hope is to uh to be our worship director here and then to go back and get his master's in choral conducting and then probably work at some high school level and and that kind of stuff and 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 we're here to support you through that and we thank you that you lead us in worship and we're excited for it so let's do it today
2: lakeside is fantastic to be here with y'all As weird as it is for me to ask you all this, if you would please be seated and refrain from singing this morning. Just really um, take this time and reflect on the, the words that we are singing up here today as we worship our Lord and Savior. Grace, I rest my plea in just in compassion down, blot out my transgressions. Now wash me, make me pure within Cleanse, oh cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, make me pure within. Cleanse, oh, cleanse me from my sin. Broken, humble to the dust. By thy wrath and judgment just let my contrite heart rejoice and in gladness hear thy voice from my sins oh hide thy face blot them out in boundless grace God, my heart renew, make my spirit right and true, cast me not away from Thee, let my spirit dwell in Thee. Salvation's joy in God. Steadfast make my willing heart my salvation's joy.
0: The prophet Isaiah looks to the day of the, the, the time of the Messiah, that we are a part of, and he says, they will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that, we may, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you as those chosen in Christ, before the foundation of the world, and set apart by the Holy Spirit for obedience and for eternal inheritance. By the perfect work of your Son and by the continuing work of your Spirit, we have come to, as the writer of Hebrews says, Mount Zion, The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels and festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, even to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Father, we confess that the lure of this world is beyond our strength. By your power, make us strong and courageous, submitting joyfully our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable as our spiritual service of worship. Through the Spirit that brings us to your heavenly Jerusalem, renew the way we think so that we are transformed into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we confess our necks are stiff. Give us the gift of repentance lest we break. Let us see Jesus and detest our sin and our sins. Give us grace to confess and grace to be cleansed. Let our lives reflect Paul's great benediction. For from him and through him and to him are all things. So, Father, in him we ask that you bless our giving. This act of worship is acceptable only by the virtue of Christ. And in that virtue, we pray, as God, as Jesus instructed his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts,
2: thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe display then sees my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art my soul my savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art and when I think that God the Son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it burn and gladly bury He bled and died to take away my sin. Then seize my soul, my Savior, God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then seize my soul, Savior God to thee How great the world How great the world When Christ shall come With shouts of acclamation And take me home What joy shall fill my heart I shall bow in humble adoration and therefore claim my God, how great thou art. Then since I soul my Savior guide to me, how great thou So my savior, God, to me, how great Thou!
3: It's interesting uh, to consider that the church, uh, the church, the the church in America specifically hasn't suffered um, a lot of um, people coming and condemning it um, in the sense that maybe compared to our brothers and sisters in China, and when they go in China and they try to try to sing, they have to do so so quietly because if they're heard, people will come in and, and take great offense and maybe threaten their lives, maybe kill them and break up their church. And so it's not that our government does that to us, but it's funny to be in a weird time in the history where some uh, virus takes away the church's ability to sing, and it doesn't seem right. And, and, and last time we were together and we didn't sing, I was just like, I don't know about church today. It, just, it was kind of flat, you know? And I think it's flat because the saints aren't singing, and I, and I hate that. And we're, we're just trying to figure out how to like... How to be together in the most responsible way. Also this morning, I've gotten emails from somebody saying how reckless I am that we're even having church. And so there is like all sorts of like in-betweens uh, in thinking through how to do what we're doing and how to be the people of God and how to be the church gathered. And so uh, please bear with your elders and, and, uh, and your leaders as they just, they go, Hey, listen, this is wisdom as best we see it. Uh, we be together and, like, it may not help much that doors are cracked open, but it's the doing the best that we can, and, and if you feel like you need to wear a mask, then wear a mask, and if you're at home watching right now, we're glad that, that you are and keeping yourself safe. Um, last week, we started together working through the Ten Commandments, and we discussed how the, the Ten Commandments really teach us how to follow that new commandment of Jesus, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you to love one another. And how there are some people who want to say, okay, the Ten Commandments don't matter anymore, now we just have this new commandment of Jesus to love one another, and that's what you need to do. It replaced the Ten Commandments, but we say no. The the way that you know how to love one another is through the Ten Commandments. Um, We value the Ten Commandments just like the Catholics do, and just like the Lutherans do. But what's funny, we agree on all the major parts, but when it comes to making up our lists of ten rules, Catholics... And Lutherans and Protestants, we actually number the Ten Commandments differently. I don't know if y'all have ever noticed this before, uh, that we both come up with Ten Commandments. We both agree and recognize the law of God, but we number our Ten Commandments differently. And one of the places where we differ in our numbering has to do with the first two commandments, right? We we number our first two commandments uh, as one and two, and the Catholic Church would say that's just one big one. Does that make sense? And so we're going to read that part, really Exodus uh, 1-6, through really 3-6, through and we're going to read all the Ten Commandments again today, and then we'll go back and we'll start studying the difference between the first and the second commandment and and kind of how to find some truth in there. Um, Let's, if you're able to uh, stand, do so, and that's kind of our tradition, when the Word of God is read over the church, the church stands, and it's kind of a way of just ultimate respect to the Word of God, positioning our hearts to listen well. Um, and so, now that we're standing together, let's say a word of prayer. Father God, we do come to your word, and uh, we want to see the true God. We want to understand, uh, by reading your word, God, uh, what we can do to worship you well in our lives. Quicken it to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. All right, hear now the word of God. Um, Exodus 20 On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The way that most Protestants look at the Ten Commandments is this. We see see the first commandment as being Exodus 20, verse 3, which says, You shall have no other gods before me. So that's how we see the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And and for most Protestants, uh, we talk about the second commandment as beginning in Exodus 4, which says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. We talked a little bit about the first commandment last week about what it means that God is a jealous God and how we shouldn't worship things other than the true God. And if we really try to break these two down are very, very specific for the, for the sake of learning today. The first commandment is have no other gods before me. The second commandment is do not make for yourself an idol. And the Catholic Church is going to look at these two commandments and they're going to say, listen, they're so close, you can actually combine these two. Uh, they'll say having idols is in a sense having these other gods, so they'll categorically group the two commandments together. And I guess I can see the logic of that in some situations that if you're worshiping a false idol, you're putting a false god in God's place, and those things can be similar. But let me tell you what Protestant scholars uh, think about the differences between the first two commandments, okay? Here's a distinction. The first commandment guards you from worshiping the wrong things. It, it teaches you that you shall have no other gods before me, and it says don't worship false gods. But the second commandment actually guards you from worshiping the right god in the wrong way. Okay, let me say it again. The first commandment is about worshiping other gods, and that's wrong. The second commandment is about worshiping the true god, but doing so in a way that is improper. Uh, and I 'll build a case for this as we go on today, but I just want you to understand this distinction. The first commandment's about worshiping other gods or letting other things take the place of God in your life. It asks us, it asks us to examine our hearts and to make sure that, that we don't trust in or love or worship anything other than the true God who delivered us from the sin of bondage or the bondage of sin. excuse me. but here's what the second commandment is saying. You can actually be intending to worship the triune God. Like that can be your, you can set out to do this and you can break the second commandment because your worship involves making idols, okay? The second commandment says that uh, we, not, we may not worship God in the form of any man-made idol. It forbids us from worshiping the true God falsely. And what that means is, is how we worship God matters nearly as much as who we worship. Uh, so remember the context of the Ten Commandments as it was given. The Israelites are just coming out of Egyptian slavery, right? Uh, they were When they were in Egypt, they were engrossed in the Egyptian religious culture. And a very big part of Egyptian religion was this idea of creating idols as a way to worship the many gods there, so they would have idols. And here's an example of how that would work. Take, for example... The Egyptian god Horus. Now Horus was was the god of the sky, okay? And uh, the Egyptians wanted to worship Horus well, and so they would fashion themselves a statue of Horus in order to worship the statue. But they had never seen Horus. They didn't know what Horus looked like, and so they just tried to imagine what, what would Horus look like. And someone decided that since he was the god of the sky, Horus should have the head of a falcon, because he's the god of the sky, right? And and so every time you see Horus in these drawings in Egyptian culture, he's going to have the body of a man and the head of a falcon. And in Egypt, they also had this god by the name of Anubis, And Anubis is like, uh, he's the god of, of the resurrection, or not the resurrection, the, the god of mummification or, or the god of eternal life, right? That, that's what Anubis would be. And... What would happen is that people would go to cemeteries and they'd be at cemetery at night and they'd look out over the cemetery and amongst the graves they'd see jackals. And apparently jackals would roam around the cemeteries a lot. And eventually someone said, you know what I like to think of? I like to think of those jackals as really being Anubis And Anubis has come, he's, you know, he's the god of mummification he's the god of the afterlife. He's come to see all the dead relatives that I have. And I think that's really sweet. And so before long, whenever in Egyptian culture you saw Anubis you'd see the body of the man and the head of a jackal. And uh, we can go on and on with stories of this from Egyptian uh, polytheistic culture and and their idols, and and how they would fashion them and make them look. They would give them the heads of an animal, and features they saw throughout creation they would attribute to their gods. And so if you take that culture, you take that uh, context, the truly living God is saying to the Israelites who are coming out of that, don't do that to me. I don't want you to do that to me. Uh, Don't you slap some animal's head on the body of a man and try to worship me by bowing down to that thing. Don't make any images of me. And so if you look at the commandment again in that context, right? Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water below. No birds from above no animals on the, uh, from below, no fish in the sea, don't use any of God's creation as, as a way to represent God or imagine God or stand in for God in worship. That's getting close to the heart of the second commandment, that we're not to represent God with any image nor give that image worship. Uh, Thomas Watson says this, he says, God is to be adored in the heart, not painted to the eye. So what do the Israelites do? How do they, how they respond to the second commandment? Well, 12 chapters later in Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain. He's taken too long to come back down to see them. And the Israelites get nervous. And so they, they basically, they turn to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, Aaron, make us something to worship, right? And, and so Aaron says, okay, everybody, here's what we're going to do. Take off your golden rings Pass me your golden earrings and I'm going to melt them down and I'm going to use my tools and I'm going to fashion a golden calf. You remember this story, right? And the calf is, uh, is definitely a symbol in Egyptian culture and in a lot of ancient Near East cultures for divine strength. And Aaron says something interesting here. And I want you to pay attention to the words of Aaron because I'm, I'm going to prove a point in all this and, and I need you to hear it well. Exodus two four. This is, what, this is what Aaron says. These are the gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, when he says these are the gods, you understand it's plural. It's the word Elohim. It's, it's plural in the Hebrew, but it could be also translated singular. And, and basically, that should sound familiar. These are your gods, O Israel, the ones that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And, and of course, it's familiar because it's actually the prologue to the Ten Commandments. Right? Uh, Aaron, when he makes the golden calf, gives the prologue to the Ten Commandments and attributes it to the golden calf, okay? If you remember when God introduces himself in the Ten Commandments, Genesis 22, he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And now here is Aaron saying that this golden calf is the Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So here's my question I want to ask you. Think about this. What is the golden calf an idol to? What is the golden calf an idol to? You, see, you see, I used to think it was an idol to a, to a false god, or that maybe Aaron had actually created a new god, and Adam was just kind of in the moment saying, this golden calf is representing some new god. And that maybe what we had here was a breaking of the first commandment, that you shouldn't worship any other gods. Um. But after some serious reflection, I'm convinced that the golden calf is actually an idol to Yahweh. In other words, Aaron's trying to worship Yahweh by the worshiping of the golden calf. Uh, Two clues make me think this. The first is what we just read, uh, when Aaron says, the golden calf is the Elohim who brought you out of Egypt. And the second is, if you were to look at verse 32, 5, Aaron begins to describe what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, uh, "He says tomorrow we shall feast to the Lord." And that word "Lord" there is the Hebrew word Yahweh, uh, not the uh, some generic name for God, but the very specific name that God has given to the Israelites to know who their God is. Um, the golden calf is an idol. Make no mistake. But I believe that the context here would lead us to think that what Aaron is trying to do is worship Yahweh by building this idol by which they could somehow worship the idol and bounce the the worship to Yahweh or something. I don't know. Aaron thinks this is some strange way to worship Yahweh. And it's the very thing that God warned about in the second commandment. And Aaron's without excuse. He knew the Ten Commandments. And yet, somehow in times of stress, he's going back to this way in which he learned to worship gods from Egypt by creating idols. John Calvin actually says that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. So that's what's kind of what we do. So, the question that I want to ask for you today is, how does the second commandment affect us? How does it affect, like, Lakeside's worship of the triune God? I think the most simple answer to this is, We've got to strive to worship our God in a way where we don't let any image become the recipient of our praise of God. And how might something like that happen? How might we accidentally slip into worshiping an image? Well, let's say that we were trying to be creative in the way in which we had worship at Lakeside. And uh, we brought in an artist uh, to draw a, pa- a painting of God or of Jesus why we sang or why I preached that he was going to paint a picture of God or he's going to paint a picture of Jesus while there was music or during the sermon. And the danger is that some people might start to accidentally or on purpose look at that picture and say to that picture somehow in their, in their heart, God, I worship you. And instead of the triune God being the recipient of our worship, the picture is. Now listen, I understand this kind of, it borders on sounding silly. It borders on sounding legalistic. I, I I understand that. But ultimately, let me ask you the, this question. What's the difference between the picture and the golden calf? They fundamentally misdirect our worship. Um, they're both serving as placeholders for, for visualizing God. They both are a wrong representation of God. That's why we normally don't use images of God in our worship services. If you think about it, it's why, it's why Protestants, by and large, don't have a lot of crucifixes with Jesus on the cross, right? Um, we have these in Catholic churches. We don't have these in Protestant churches. We don't, in the front of our church, have these pictures of Jesus sacrificed for us. They're bleeding on the cross. Uh, because, one, I think. Protestants, by and large, we go, hey, Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. He's, he's been resurrected. He's ascended to the side of the Father. Uh, he now rules with him in heaven. But also, uh, if you have a big statue of Jesus on the cross in the center of your sanctuary, people are going to either intentionally or accidentally start looking at that image of Jesus. And there's a real risk that they start worshiping it. And at that point, there's not a lot of distinction between what Aaron did in holding out the golden calf. And what the church is doing in holding out this visual representation of Jesus. And maybe, uh, maybe we haven't given Jesus the head of a jackal. But I guarantee you that the full glory of Jesus is not on display in that crucifix. We tend to make Jesus look the way we want him to look. And that's at the heart of the second commandment. Idolatry denies the full glory of God. And it, and it really exchanges that for what we want God to look like. So let me address the elephant in the room, right? I mean, do you think I was just going to like not know, maybe preach around or hope you didn't notice it? Maybe thought I'd slide one in on you. I mean, we got a stained glass of Jesus. What do we do? I mean, if we're going to read the Ten Commandments, we're going to clearly identify the word of God there. We're going to understand what he says, don't have idols, don't do this stuff. What are we going to do with our stained glass window? Now, in the first service, people started elbowing each other, and I thought they were getting ready to mob. They were going to carry me out of here, tie me up, and burn me. In the early days of the Reformation, Martin Luther was being hunted as a heretic. uh, By the Catholic Church, specifically, he had a lot of tough things to say about the Pope, a lot of tough things to say about indulgences. And there were real credible threats to Martin Luther's life following the Diet of Worms. Diet of Worms, he was called to testify and, and give account to what he'd been doing. And as he went out there, uh, he, he basically didn't back off of anything he said. And so as he left the Diet of Worms, heading back to Wittenberg in Germany, there's this real thought that he's probably going to get killed on the highway. And there, there's, there's rumors that there were people sent out to kill Luther on the highway on the road back. Uh, instead, what happened to Luther... Is that he was kidnapped by a friend? Uh, uh, he didn't know this at the time. I think he was just kidnapped, and he didn't know till later it was by Frederick the Elector, uh, and, and Frederick the Elector had uh, had him taken to his deer camp and hid there for a long time. It's a true story, like I kid you not. Frederick the Elector kidnaps uh, Martin Luther and puts him in his deer camp for a long time, and, and Luther grows this really long beard, and for a long time Luther's in hiding. And this Reformation is happening in a way in which there's a lot of people who are missing the leadership that Luther brought to the Reformation. They, just, they don't know where he's at. And uh, one of the things that they were fighting at the time was that Rome was really struggling with a huge problem of idolatry. And if you go back, uh, they had idols of Jesus. They had idols of Mary. They had idols of the saints. They had uh, wood that was apparently from the cross of Jesus. There were nails that were apparently in Jesus' hand, or from the hands of Jesus. And the thought was, remember, this was a time when they thought about purgatory. Was that uh, the more interaction you had with these artifacts, the more time was removed from your time in purgatory? And so, all of a sudden, they kept coming up with more nails that were in Jesus' hand. And there's this one quote that says, "You know, there were enough nails from the hands of Jesus to build Saint Peter's Basilica." So there's, there's all this, this kind of fake stuff that was that was around Germany in this time. And one of Luther's contemporaries was a man by the name of Karlstadt, And he led a movement of what is now called iconoclasts. That's a $12 word. You're going to learn what it means and be able to use it when you go home. Now, iconoclasts are basically people who destroy idols in order to protect people from idolatry. And this guy Karlstad, while Luther was in hiding, he began getting his followers together. And they became iconoclasts They began smashing stained glass windows all through Germany. They, they'd go and they would find a statue of Jesus in the park. And they would push it down and destroy it. They were all They were destroying any kind of things that could be seen as idolatry while Luther was in hiding. And this isn't the first time that this has happened in the history of the church. In fact, in 787... There was a council that met in Nicaea, not necessarily the one where the Nicene Creed came out of, but another council in Nicaea where the iconoclasts of the day were there talking about destroying idols. And the reason that, uh, that, that Luther eventually came out of hiding, he didn't shave his beard. People didn't know who he was when he first showed up. But the reason he came out of hiding initially was to kind of deal with the chaos of the mob of the iconoclasts. Here's what Luther said when he comes out of hiding. I approach the task of destroying images by first tearing them out of the heart through God's word and then making them worthless and despised. He continues, For when they are no longer in the heart, they can do no harm when seen with the eyes. But Dr. Carlsted, who pay, who pays no attention to matters of the heart, has reversed the order by removing them from the sight and leaving them in the heart. Luther says, I'm going to go in, I'm going to take them out of the heart, where they will have no power when they're in the sight. But Karlstad's doing the opposite. He's removing them from the sight, but they still have the power in the heart. So I, I think if I suggested taking our stained glass out, I might be carried out and tarred and feathered. I don't think people would like that. After the service, I had no less than four lectures about where the stained glass came from. I understand it was designed by the wife of a former pastor. I have much respect for the stained glass. But yet, I'm also here to warn you that the second commandment says very clearly that you should be very careful about directing your worship towards images of God. It could be dangerous. But like Luther said, and I agree with him, the first place to attack idols is by removing them from the heart through God's word. Do you know where I see idolatry the most? Maybe you've experienced this before. I see it in this phrase that people will sometimes use. Here's the phrase. They'll say something like this. I like to think of God as dot, dot, dot. Right, And they begin to tell you how they like to think about God. And uh, they just use their imagination at that point to make God look however they want them to look and and make them happy. Have you ever been around someone who does this? They say, uh, I'd like to think about God as someone who would send everyone to heaven. Or I'd like to think about God as someone who isn't really bothered by the way that people live their lives because he's so tolerant. Or I'd like to think of God as being with me on social media one of the greatest heresies in the southern church, I'd like to think of God as being a saints fan. We know that's a lie. He pulls for the cowboys. I think you will all agree. This, uh, this sermon is about to descend into the gutter. Um, here we go. Uh, there is an iconic scene, pun intended, in the Will Ferrell movie Talladega Nights. Seen it? You know you have. A lot of you have. Well, Will Ferrell is going to begin to say grace before uh, lunch. And he, as he begins to say grace, he keeps addressing Jesus in prayer as dear little tiny baby 10 ounce Jesus. Uh, and his wife interrupts him to say, you know, dear, Jesus did grow up. You don't have to keep calling him a baby. Pharaoh looks at her and says, well, look. I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm the one saying this grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever. And then Pharaoh's best friend, Cal Norton Jr., chimes in to say, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too because I like to party and I want my Jesus to party too. Pharaoh's son chimes in to say that he likes to see Jesus As a ninja fighting off evil samurai. And the scene just devolves from there. And I don't think any of us uh, tend to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt or fighting off samurai. But I do think that the biggest struggle for the church in the category of idolatry is that we all are making for ourselves a God in our own image. And I would say this to you today. The God is not who you think he is or who you want him to be. He is who he says he is and who he reveals himself to be in his word. He's not who you want him to be. He is who he says he is. And if we keep worshiping the God of our own image and imagination, then we are guilty of idolatry. And that's just as guilty and as dangerous as worshiping the golden calf. Because God is a jealous God. If you ask yourself, how seriously did God take this whole golden calf thing? Have you read that story? Do you know what happened? It's one of the darkest places in the Old Testament. Moses comes down and he calls the Levites to gather around and they take the golden calf. Do you know what they do? They grind it up. you know what they do with that? They make the people eat it. Do you know what becomes of their idol? Like maybe 12 hours later? Worthless. Don't hunt for gold in the Holy Land. You know what else happens? He comes back and he, he, he grabs the Levites. You know what they grab? They grab their swords. And they go to everyone who had a responsibility for creating that, that, that golden idol, except Aaron for some reason. I don't know why he gets a pass. Church, this is the second commandment. Hear it again. You shall not make for yourself a carved image Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth below, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, we've been preaching the law today. And the law is important. But our hope is not found in our ability to keep the law. And I want to remind you of that. Our hope is found in the one who did keep the law, Christ Jesus. I was talking to an elder after this, and they were, they were talking about this idea of, like, how you work through idolatry. And they go... Like, I've always got this image of God in my head, and, and I'm struggling because how do I know if that image in my head is the true God or I'm projecting some sort of idolatry? And I said, I know, man. It's really hard to know when we've been good at keeping the second commandment. And it's that fear that keeps us always going, God, I really need a Savior in Jesus because I don't know if I've got this mastered yet. That, that's part of what the law does for us. The, the law reminds us that, that we need a Savior because we're wretched sinners. We're guilty in the eyes of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Okay, now. We're going to pray together. We're going to place our trust in Jesus. And we're going to repent for being lawbreakers this morning. And then we'll sing or have our band sing again. So let's have a time of prayer real quick. Father God, we thank you for bringing us the law. It's by the law that we can recognize that we're sinners and that we need Jesus. It's by the law that... Evil men are restrained and don't do things they shouldn't do. Lord, it's by the law that we figure out how to give you praise. Because it is when we follow the law that we kind of worship you with our lives. Our prayer this morning, God, is that we would not worship you as the God that we want you to be. or well, even the God that we think you are. But you would be gracious enough to have your word in our heart that we would be able to worship you as the God that you are. Father, forgive us for where we are lawbreakers. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. We praise the name of Jesus, your son, our hope. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: Oh you mm-hmm.
3: For when you leave to know what they said we d- went through the first and second commandments so they are their commandments that deal with our worship first commandment is about what we worship and worshiping the wrong things the second commandment is about making sure that we don't make idols and worship the right god in the wrong way we tend to make idols in our lives when we worship images that are created as opposed to having that attention focus on the true god we also make idols we try to make the true God look like us, take on our morals, our values, as, opposing, as opposed to worshiping the, the God that is revealed in Scripture. This is the second commandment. Do not break it. Go now and take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Will you sing once more Nathan?
2: I'm God bless